All right, let's begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word and uh, to listen. We pray that uh, you would enlighten our minds, open our hearts to your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So, uh, today, uh, last week we talked about uh, the way marriage should be. And then today we're going to talk about the way, uh, uh, the brokenness of marriage, right? The way marriage ought not to be. And uh, actually the reason why I chose to do this is because um, this is, I think, a, a topic that I personally have never heard taught in the church. I don't know if, if uh, that was your experience as well. And yet the Bible has quite a bit to say about divorce. Um, and so I thought it would be good. <laughs> uh, partly because I'm so new to this topic. I mean, I just literally like for the first time started reading about it about three weeks ago. So part of it is this is, this is not as well thought out as my understanding of marriage. But nevertheless, I think it is a good, important topic. Um, and it says a lot about marriage as well. Um, so let me just do by way of review. Uh, last week we looked at how uh, marriage and the gospel are really the same thing. Um, this is the profound insight of, of Christianity, that marriage is not just some any ordinary institution, but it's a particular vehicle, particular relationship that God has designed to teach us the gospel. Right, which is, the gospel is that Christ loves us as a spouse, and we are his bride. And therefore, the more we understand the gospel, the more we can understand and practice marriage. And the more we understand marriage, in fact, helps us to understand the gospel more deeply. Right? So they're both mutually reinforcing. And therefore, uh, the grand thesis of the class last week was marriage and gospel. We can define them both as transforming love. Which is that uh, you love your beloved, but you don't. Uh, but they change as a result, right? They 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 become better. They become more beautiful, uh, more glorious, more splendid. That's what God does to us when He loves us, and that's what we do to our spouses when we love them. Here you guys go. There's chairs over there. We're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna hold them in case it doesn't fill the capacity. <laughs> Um, Lisa, can I ask you a favor? Can you go to the sanctuary and close the side door? Because we can hear the noise and just tell them, yeah, thanks. Um, and then I also said that marriage is a journey, right? And I just wanted to, by way of review, since, since you know, people uh, uh, didn't know the answer so readily, if marriage is a journey in which you link arms together, what then is the destination of marriage? Roxanne, you look like you know. Holiness. Yes, holiness, <laughs> glory, splendor, these things that await us in the new creation, right, when Christ comes back. Uh, marriage is actually a unique vehicle that takes us there. So that as we love each other in marriage, you're actually washing each other, you're actually sanctifying each other, um, and when you're fighting, you shouldn't be discouraged because what you're discovering is each other's selfishness, right? And you're pointing it out. You're selfish. No, you're selfish. And of course, 
the gospel teaches us to <coughs> repent and to grow, and uh, 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 and so that's what marriage is, right? And so, okay, so now we're going to get into divorce, and divorce is actually a very uh, sensitive subject. Um, there, there, okay. Um, there are empty seats in that direction. Push, push the people to the empty seats. Uh, here, can you give it to me? So, here's my own personal story. Um, I actually am a child of divorce. My uh, parents uh, would fight all the time. This was my memory of my parents when I was a child. And then when I was in high school, my parents told me, I mean, they, they did um, several years of separation. And then when I was in high school, my parents finally sat us down, my sister and I, and they said they're going to get a divorce. And I remember that moment very vividly. It was uh, really tragic and sad. I remember thinking, you know, my family is broken. Like, I remember thinking about my friends who had intact families. And it was just so sad for me. And I remember uh, uh, <laughs> crying really intensely. Um, it was just so sad. And for the longest time, I wanted my parents to get back together. And I think that that is really a natural thing because as a child, you want your family to be together. You want your parents to love each other. But when I look back at it, you know, I realized that what led up to the divorce, um, it, there was a lot of fighting, you know. There was a lot of um, uh, <laughs> my, my, my dad and my mom. I just remember these um, very vivid, tragic scenes where I would just experience them fighting and fighting and fighting. And so I guess, like, this is one of the reasons why I'm so interested in this subject. Um, what then, I mean, what do we do in a marriage in which it's that dysfunctional and that broken? Right? Can you guys go? Thank you. Um, and so Jesus actually teaches about divorce. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 19. Um, this, is the, uh, this is the section in which probably uh, has the most extensive teaching on divorce, although it's uh, mentioned in various other passages. But this is the most extensive. And so let's read it together. Um, how about I have uh, Chelsea read? I'm going to interrupt you, but okay. be prepared. And Pharisees came up to Jesus and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Okay, uh, let me just pause right there. So they're testing Jesus. I'm not 100% sure what this test is. Um, we know that, for example, um, Herod Antipas, which was a king, who was a king, had divorced his wife, married uh, his, um, his relative Herodias, and John the Baptist railed against the sinfulness of that, of that divorce, and then he was beheaded. So there were political implications to saying, you know, divorce is wrong. So maybe they were trying to get him in trouble with Herod Antipas. Their own position is, and then maybe they were trying to get Jesus to agree with their own position, right? Maybe they just wanted Jesus to affirm their position. The Pharisees' position is that you can divorce for any reason. As you can see, right? It says, is it lawful for, uh, to divorce one's wife for any cause. Um, uh, uh, we actually have documents from that era. Uh, uh, some famous rabbis would say, if your wife cooks a bad meal, you may divorce her. <laughs> um, if she loses her good looks, you may divorce her. Um, and so really it was for any reason, whatever reason you can, you can divorce, right? This, I mean, uh, we talk about easy divorce. This was the era of very easy divorce. You literally, sat down, your wife would cook a bad meal, you sit down, you'd write, you are divorced, hand her that certificate, and it's done. She 
is out, right? So let's keep reading. So this is what Jesus says. He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Yeah, let me interrupt you there. So Jesus lays down the principle, right? Jesus says, let man not separate. And this goes to the very core of what it means to be married. Jesus quotes Genesis 2.24, in which marriage is, um, the essence of marriage is, it's one flesh union, one flesh marriage, right? This is very key, right? Genesis 2.24, uh, and they hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Um, what is that one flesh? What is the first sort of like primary uh, level? What does one flesh describe? Justin, do you remember? Sex. Yes, good. Uh, uh, one flesh... Right? One flesh is two bodies joining together, right? So that they're no longer two, but one. Um, but, f but sex is just uh, 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 the crowning expression. It's just the, the fullest the consummation of something else, which is one flesh marriage, in which it's no longer two, but one life. You have uh, uh, one set of goals together, one uh, financial assets together, you have one life together. You don't uh, live in two different houses. You live together <laughs> because you're one flesh, one life together, okay? So Jesus says, this one flesh marriage, let man, meaning us who are participants of this marriage, you cannot break it. You cannot separate it. That's the principle Jesus lays down. Um, of course, the Pharisee says, let us retort. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wife. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife, except for a sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Right. So, the, the Pharisees say, <laughs> This principle, let not man separate. Jesus, you are mistaken. And they, say, and they cite uh, Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy chapter 24 is a very interesting passage. It is, the only, it is the only place in the entire Old Testament that talks about divorce in terms of like what is permitted or what is allowed in divorce. It is the only place. And Deuteronomy 24 is a very weird, interesting passage which you'll soon see as we read it, because it doesn't talk about divorce in a very direct way. It's actually talking about this really strange scenario in which a woman has been divorced twice. And the Bible says, Deuteronomy 24 says, that the first husband may not remarry his wife after her second divorce. And you're thinking, what a very strange situation. This is it? This is all we have? Um, and uh, uh, again, I apologize, you know, I really haven't had time to think about it too, too deeply. This is my first go at it. Maybe my second class, three years from now, will be much deeper. But uh, I'm not sure what's going on in Deuteronomy 24, to be honest with you. I think it may have to do with the fact that they were trying to prevent abuse. 
right? It, because this was a very sexist society in which it was very easy to divorce your wife. And so maybe it was trying to prevent that. But uh, the thing that we're focused on is that Deuteronomy 24 also regulates divorce. I need to say also that it doesn't say, okay, divorce, it actually assumes divorce is already happening, right? So divorce, the practice of divorce is happening, and Deuteronomy 24 is trying to regulate that practice. And the Pharisees cite this as a, a counter to what Jesus is saying, because Jesus is basically saying, no divorce. Right? That's what he's saying. No divorce. But the Pharisees says, well, what about Deuteronomy 24? So, uh, Lisa, may I have you? So we're going to skip verse 10. I may or may not get to it, but let's read Deuteronomy 24. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man takes her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. Or if the latter man dies, he who took her or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who took her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land of the Lord your God is giving you upon inheritance. It's strange, right? This is a very strange passage. But Deuteronomy 24 nevertheless regulates divorce. And the law of God says that uh, you may divorce. The condition is that you find some indecency. Uh, so, this phrase was hotly debated by the religious authorities of Jesus' day. And uh, uh, generally, uh, there was a range of opinions, uh, all the way from the most uh, loosest opinion, which is, again, if your wife you know, burns your meal, that's some indecency, um, all the way down to uh, sexual uh, infidelity, the vast majority, the consensus opinion was that some indecency is talking about any reason. Any reason that you want at all is allowable. That was the, the view of the day. Uh, almost nobody held the position that Jesus is now about to articulate. And Jesus says, uh, this some indecency is actually, and if you look, let's go back to the top passage, uh, verse 9, Jesus says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And so Jesus defines some indecency as sexual immorality. Uh, sexual immorality is a very clunky word. Uh, it's one of those situations where the Greek word is not easily translatable into the English. Sexual immorality is a great translation, but who says that, right? Sexual immorality. Um, the Greek word, I'm going to just transliterate it into English, is porneia, um, which is where we get the word pornography. Porneia simply means any sex outside of marriage, right? Any sex outside of marriage is porneia, and so... Jesus is saying, if there is porneia, that is the only reason, that is the only condition upon which you may divorce. And, um, and, and, and then Jesus explains the reason why this was given. Okay, and this, is, this is the central dispute. Why was this condition allowed? Right? Because... Why is one flesh marriage allowed to be broken in this way? 
And Jesus says, uh, where is it? Uh, oh, okay, verse 8. Um, he said, Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, uh, but it was not so from the beginning. So why did he allow this to happen? Because of human brokenness. Okay? Because porneia happens. It should not be. This is so tragic. It is deep uh, betrayal. This is deep hurt. And it should not be, but it happens. And she says, because it happens, Moses regulated the practice of divorce. Um, um, but then notice that the Pharisees say, let's go back up to verse uh, 7, right? The Pharisees said to him, well, let me just write this down. So, brokenness. Reason is brokenness. But then, uh, verse 7, the Pharisees say, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Do you notice a difference between what the Pharisees say, command, and what Jesus says in verse 8? Because he said to them, uh, He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wife. What is the difference? Mm. Who, who, mm, I heard Tracy. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. Oh, there is no fear. You are amongst friends, Tracy. Do not be ashamed. <laughs> what are your initial thoughts? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know I don't know how to articulate it. I know what you're... Oh, you do? Stumble, stumble, and then I'll help your feet to guide you on the right path. <laughs> Um, there's allow and then there's command. Which okay, which is the difference of what? Like, what is a command? Like, if I said to you, thus commands the Lord, what would you say that that is? Is that something that is good or bad? <laughs> if, if, I, if God says, Tracy, I command you to, what would you expect? I command you to do something neutral, Sinful, good, beautiful. <laughs> it depends on which one. Wait, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> All right, I lost Tracy. Oh, yeah, All right, I'm who lost. can I? Who can I pick on? Um, Yvonne. <laughs> what? What? What would a command be? Like, does a command? All right, let, let, let me break this down. All right. <laughs> God. God commands. Uh, what's the most famous list of commands, by the way? Okay. Of on that list of ten commandments, is this sort of a mixed bag of good and neutral and evil things to do? Or yeah? <laughs> what? They're all good, right? It's called the moral law, right? You ought to do it. So whatever God commands is good, commendable, beautiful, true, right? Right? So this is the category I'm looking for. Good, beautiful, true. So what are the Pharisees saying when they articulate? I heard Tracy hmm, again. <laughs> Tracy, what are the Pharisees articulating? What, what is, their, what is their, their arguing? What's their angle? That divorce is... Good, yes. Yes, that's what they're saying. They're saying God commanded us to divorce. So what they're saying is 
here I am having my meal, <laughs> and it's burnt. It is good to divorce my wife. <laughs> here I am, my wife looks old. <coughs> By the way, this is a completely sexist perspective. We're going to get to that a little bit later. But pretty much only men divorce their wives. Okay, it didn't go the other way. But um, my wife is not looking as attractive as I once found her. It is good to find a replacement. That's what the Pharisees were saying. And what does Jesus say in response? He counterpunches by saying, uh, Moses, what? Allowed. Allowed, which means, in other words, um, just saying, no, you have it completely wrong. It is merely permissible. And that is a world of difference in, in, in perspective in terms of, of divorce. If it is permissible, Jesus is saying, first of all, you don't even have to do it. Even in the case of Cornea, we'll get to that a little bit later. But what he's saying is the fact that it's permissible means it's not even a good thing. Even in the case of Cornea, um, it is merely allowed because of this. So in other words, divorce is sort of almost like a band-aid to the real underlying problem, which is this, brokenness. It was never, never, never something good, beautiful, and true. And so it's a concession. So Jesus is saying it's a concession to sin, not a positive command. Um, and that was a radical, radical notion back in the ancient world. This, this was mind-blowing. Um, and, and then what happens? Jesus goes back to the original design. He cites Genesis 2.24, right? We keep going back to that. It's so crucial. Genesis 2.24, and he says, Don't you know that in the beginning, this is the way it was designed, that two shall no longer, uh, the two shall become one, and there'll be one flesh. And, and, um, and let, let's, let's, let's dive into that analogy a little bit, right? One flesh. I like how there's all these different color markers. All right. Um, so one flesh. So what you have is here's <laughs> they're like gingerbread men, right? Okay. The two become one. Actually, I, I see. Um, I, I don't know if people do this anymore. Unity candles and weddings right I think it's a actually you know by the way I'm a hater <laughs> so I would just sit there and wait like oh that's so lame right but, um, that's not good don't be a hater but um but I think that unity candle is actually pretty profound and pretty deep if you think about it because you have two it's no longer two but it's one right and so uh, that's what Jesus is saying. That's what marriage is. You're not two people anymore, roommating together and sharing expenses. You are one person, one human being. Now, think about that analogy. If you are now one, right? If marriage makes you one, and you were to do, and you were to divorce, what would that be? Yeah, it's like imagine you say to yourself, "This arm, this worthless arm." Um, get a get a I don't know medical surgical uh, saw and just start gnawing it off and you tear it off and you're like oh hate your arm. Jesus saying it's that's how crazy it is. Why would you do that? How incredibly tragic, painful, <clears throat> terrible that is. 
And that is the analogy that Jesus is citing. And that's why, if you look in Malachi 2.16, um, wh where am I? Uh, Chris, can, I, can, you have, can you read? It's in the next column. For the man who hates and divorces, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Right, so what is Malachi saying? What is Jesus saying? The divorce is an incredibly bloody act. I'm going to see if I can draw a little blood driplet. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, terrible artist. Um, it's, a, it's an act of incredible, terrible violence. And then Jesus says, what God has joined together, right, end of verse 6, let not man separate. And so what he's saying is that when you enter into marriage, you're not just doing something that is sort of voluntary, uh, uh, voluntarily chosen on your own between two people, but now something deeper is going on. Now God is involved. God is invested, interested in this marriage. Why? Because this is the thesis of the class. Marriage equals gospel. If you divorce, what is that saying about the gospel? Mm. Right? And so you cannot. And, um, and let me add another thing, which is that not only is God invested, it's not, marriage is not a selfish or, or self-interested thing, but now it's, it's a, a marriage is also for community building. So let me, I don't know where I can add that. This is, I think, uh, a very Christian way to think about marriage. Um, just says community. Uh, right? Marriage is for building up the church and building up the community. And so imagine, God forbid, but imagine Harry and Lauren were to get divorced. Now, is it just for them? Is it just like, oh, it's their deal? Are you crazy? If Harry and Lauren were to divorce, it would destroy this church, would it not? We, we, would, we would all be in tears. It would kill us. And so I think that is what Jesus is trying to convey here, that divorce is not an easy, simple thing. It has incredible shock waves of ramification. For my own personal story, like I'm still, this happened in high school 20 years ago, I'm still working out the implications of my parents' divorce. I still feel a great deal of sadness. Uh, I would say it is the most tragic thing that has happened to me in my life. And there's a lot of unresolved anger, to be honest with you, and unforgiveness that I have in my heart for what my parents did. And I think that's what Jesus is saying. You know, when you, when you break up with a girlfriend, or even when you have a business, a business friendship, and you say, oh, let's not do business together. You know, there's some sadness, there's some, some degree of trauma, but nothing, nothing like this. Jesus is saying, this is what divorce is. It's ripping your arm off. It's an incredibly violent act. Um, and therefore, Jesus says that divorce and remarriage is equivalent to adultery. Now, that's a pretty loaded, that's a pretty loaded um, teaching. So let's, let's unpack that. Okay, so what is Jesus saying? He's saying divorce is pretty much the same thing as adultery. All right. Where does he say that? Uh, verse 9, right? And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. 
Um, when I first read this, I was like, whoa, Jesus, dial it back. Uh, that's too strong. That's too much. Because adultery is an ugly thing, right? It's a terrible thing. But actually, this is the reason why Jesus is saying this is because it goes back to this one flesh marriage. What is adultery? Adultery is breaking faith with that one flesh marriage, right? You are in this one flesh marriage, and then here you find somebody else, another gingerbread woman. And then you, what, what, what is adultery? It's sex with somebody else who's not your spouse. And what is sex? What did Jesus say sex is? Sex is for one flesh bonding, one flesh consummation. How can you do that with somebody who is not your spouse? It is the deepest betrayal. It is the deepest hurt. That's what adultery is. It is a betrayal. It is breaking this one flesh marriage. And Jesus is basically saying, well, what do you think divorce is? And so divorce uh, and adultery are essentially morally equivalent because they're both breaking one flesh marriage. And then Jesus adds remarriage. Now, by the way, I'm just giving you the basic principle. I hope I have enough time. There's a lot of things that I want to qualify. <laughs> so don't just leave it at that. Remarriage is also part of, I don't know how to do a three-way <coughs> equals sign. Um, remarriage is also thrown in there because if you break from this one flesh marriage, right? Let's say that you, you know, you're in this one flesh marriage and you decide to separate and leave. And then you say, hey, here's somebody else. I'm going to combine and my life with this person, marry this person. <coughs> that is equal to divorce, equal to adultery in terms of the betrayal. Now, you guys are giving me some heavy looks. So <laughs> any questions or thoughts before I go on to the qualifications? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Alright, I want to pose an extreme question. Okay. I know you like this. Okay, so say somebody... I don't like extreme questions. I don't know what you're talking about. Say, say Nancy is married to Bobby. And Bobby <laughs> is like an abusive... We'll uh, get to that. Okay. <laughs> what happens to Nancy? <laughs> we'll get <laughs> Any other questions? Are you saying that divorce is only is adultery if that person has sex? Or like... If that person has sex with someone else. Jesus provides one condition, right? So Jesus says, unless this condition is met, adultery, uh, divorce is adultery. If this condition is met, it is not adultery because you are the innocent party. So that's what Jesus is essentially saying. It is permissible, right? It is allowed. Um, but let me, let, me, let me move on. Okay, what if somebody has... Uh, so what if you are here, right, and your spouse has cheated on you? Now, can you divorce? And it's interesting that the, the Pharisee says you must. It is a command. You must do it. Uh, you have to also understand uh, that this was a male-dominated society. If your wife cheated on you, what that meant is that uh, I love, we have an English phrase still. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with it. It means cockled. Have, has anyone heard of, heard of this? You're a cockled man. I love that phrase. It just, even, even just the sound of it evokes what it's trying to say. Your wife cheated on you. You are cockled. I mean, you are 
totally denuded. You are like, you know, uh, castrated. You, are you even a man? Now, if you're a man, you won't stand for that. First of all, you will kill the guy who did it, right? If you're truly a man. But second of all, if you're truly a man, you won't stand for it. You will divorce this woman, right? <coughs> but Jesus doesn't say command. He only permits it. The reason is because what he's saying is that you don't even have, even in this situation, you don't have to do it. This is, when Jesus said this, this was crazy. Nobody believed this. That you can be a cockled man, you could be the cheated on spouse, and you don't have to do it. You don't have to divorce. Because Jesus opens the door by saying it is permitted. He opens the door to what? Reconciliation and healing. That's what Jesus is saying. Because again, remember, what is the gospel? <laughs> Marriage equals gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is that though we were sinners, God forgave us in Jesus Christ. And therefore, even in that terrible, terrible, terrible betrayal, Jesus says you can forgive, you can reconcile, and you can stay married. Now, let's read uh, uh, Luke 17. Where am I? Uh, Catherine, can you read that? If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, and turns to you seven times, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Does, uh, does Luke chapter 17 apply in all other situations other than marriage? No, it also applies in marriage. Jesus is telling us, if your spouse genuinely repents and asks for forgiveness, you should, repent, uh, you should forgive him, you should forgive her, and accept her back. That's what, Jesus, that's what Jesus is telling us. I think that is incredibly amazing. And what again, every time we talk about marriage, we're actually talking about the gospel. What is Jesus telling us about the gospel? There's an Old Testament story called uh, Hosea and Gomer. I don't know if you know this story. Hosea was a prophet married to Gomer. Gomer cheated on him numerous times. In fact, had children with other men. And then one day she left. And then Homer, Hosea is just home, devastated, tears, crying. But he did not divorce his wife. And one day he found out that Gomer was put up on a slave auction trade because she had so debased herself. She had so fallen that now she was being sold as a slave. And you know what Hosea did? He went to that slave auction. And by the way, slaves were always <coughs> sold stripped naked because it was a completely humiliating thing. Because that way the, the owners can inspect you, right? She would have been there naked. And Hosea went up there, covered her nakedness, and brought her home. That's the gospel. And so that's what Jesus is telling us, that we can do this for our spouse. Um, and now, sometimes it's just way too painful. It is just too traumatic. And that's what Jesus says, because of brokenness, as a concession, he allows for a divorce. Or what if your spouse refuses to change? What if your spouse says, I don't care about you. I'm with this new person now. Then Jesus says, yes, of course, you may divorce. Um, but you cannot divorce for any other reason. That's what basically Jesus is saying. What if you're in a marriage in which the love is gone? What if you're in a marriage in which all you do is argue and fight? <coughs> And, and, and why would you want to stay in a loveless marriage? And again, I go back to what I said about last week. 
Jesus always described, the, the Bible always describes a marriage not in terms of romantic love or feeling love, but always in terms of action love, agape love. Agape love you can do to your enemies. Jesus said, Paul says, do it to your spouse. You love your spouse. You act loving. You put their interests first. You serve them. You wash their feet. And, and when you do that, amazingly, your heart will be warmed. And that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to love each other in that way. Um, I wanted to talk about no-fault divorce, but I think time is not permitting me. I just wanted to briefly mention it. Does anyone know what no-fault divorce is? So I just want to briefly talk about public policy. By the way, public policy, right now there's a huge debate about marriage, right? Uh, should we as Christians always insist that the public laws reflect the biblical laws? That is a legitimate debate. Some people come down on different sides of it. I don't want to get into that. My own personal view is no. <laughs> but I will say this. I will say that the public laws already do not reflect the biblical laws on marriage. Completely. Because we have something called no-fault divorce. Does anybody know what no-fault divorce is? Don't neither parties are at fault. They just decide like they don't want to be married anymore. Thank you. That's right. It's pretty <laughs> self-explanatory, right? So it used to be the case that you could only get a divorce um, if there was uh, infidelity, uh, basically sexual immorality. And so it used to be the case where you had to hire a detective and they'd have to take photos and then you can get a divorce. Um, so then they said, this is ridiculous. Let's just let people break up. No fault. Um, I would say that that is completely counter to the way the Bible and Christianity is teaching. There is no no-fault divorce in Christianity. So no-fault divorce is something current? or like contemporary? Current law. So... So you, you don't. Say, if you get married, you don't need to take photos of your right, spouse. Right. Yeah. So you say we've gone back then to what we had originally, where it was like we talked about you can divorce on the birth Yeah, basically. I mean, we're moving towards what's called easy divorce um, as a society. Uh, I think easy divorce is really a reflection of the way people think about marriage in the first place, which is it's for personal fulfillment. If it's not satisfying you personally, then you <coughs> should break it up. Uh, I think there's something to be said for adding hurdles like it used to be the case where you had to like wait a month or something I, I don't even know all the full laws Las Vegas has the easiest laws They're, you can just divorce right there <laughs> pay the fine <laughs> pay the fee and then you get it California I believe there's like a 30 day waiting period or something cool down period so any case let's move on um, so the purpose of marriage is lifelong fidelity no matter what the marriage vow is not hey if I don't fall out of love in, with you if you know if you're if you're no longer attracted to me if you get sick I'm going to divorce you no you stay with that person because that's what love is that's what marriage is that's what gospel is and let me reinforce that if you are the innocent party if someone commits sexual immorality against you it is not a sin to divorce it is not um, and it is not a sin to remarry right so remarriage is not sinful divorce is not sinful but it is a concession. And then it's interesting in verse 10, Jesus says, "My," the disciples say, my goodness, it's better not to get married, right? Who would want to marry in that condition? Jesus has such a high and lofty and beautiful vision of marriage that, um, that it really boggles people's minds and, and, and he actually holds up singleness as a, as a legitimate option. In the 10 minutes that I have left, let me skip a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, and say that is there a second condition or a second reason? Um, so this is one. Is there a second reason for allowing for divorce? 
And Paul says yes, there's a second reason. Okay, so let's just go through very quickly. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, who can I have next? Uh, Carmen, can you read that? It's all the way at the bottom, uh, right hand column. Okay. To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I not the Lord. Wait, wait, I'm sorry. Stop right there. So just verse 11. Uh, verse 10 and 11, what Paul says, does that not echo what Jesus says? Right? It's exactly the same. By the way, he says, not I but the Lord. Why is he saying that? Because in the next section, he says, I not the Lord. Uh, what he's about to address next is something that Jesus did not encounter. And so that's why Paul said, look, this first paragraph, I'm just repeating what Jesus says, but now I'm going to lay down some new principles that Jesus did not address. And the reason why is because in the early church, you had a condition in which conversions were happening so rapidly. There were lots and lots of married couples in which um, one spouse was a Christian. This is just the Greek word for Christ. One spouse was a Christian and the other spouse was not. Right? And so Paul says, what do you do in that situation? Um, and so he addresses it. He says, to the rest I say, I not the Lord. So he's basically saying, this is not a condition that Jesus encountered. Because there were no spouses in which it was split, uh, split uh, religions. Um, but where are we? Carmen, can you keep reading? To the rest I say, I not the Lord. That if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Okay, let's stop there. What does Paul mean when he says made holy? Like he's basically saying, don't get a divorce. Even in the situation where your spouse is not a believer, don't get a divorce. Why? He says, because you can make them holy, made holy. What is, what is he talking about? Yes. Verse 16, last paragraph. Wife, how do you not know? How do you know whether you will save your husband? Husband, how do you know whether you will save your wife? So Paul says, stay with them. They might be saved through you, right? Through your marriage. But then he then provides the final concession. Verse 15. Um, uh, Karen, can you read that? But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Right. So here's what's called the second condition. It's called abandonment. If your unbelieving spouse abandons you, leaves you, Paul says, don't be enslaved. Don't keep fretting and worrying and trying to reconcile in that situation. If, if it's not possible, you're free. You're at peace. Go. Divorce. And you can get remarried. So that's what he's saying. Um... And therefore, let me, before I go to all the different conditions, let me just say that, therefore, to begin the question, as the Pharisee said, is it, how can I get a divorce, is an entirely wrong question. It's an entirely wrong perspective. The perspective you must always have is that marriage is permanent. It is lifelong. You cannot break it. Um, and divorce, the only time the question of divorce even comes up is these unusual conditions Pornea, and then abandonment. Uh, the question that everybody has is, um, does abandonment count for uh, abuse? Does abuse count as abandonment, right? Is that what you're saying? 
or does or is pornea the same as abuse? Is that what you're saying? Sure. So you basically want to know about abuse. No, I've I've multiple extreme questions. Okay. Well, let me address that one okay. then. Abuse. Um, nobody's saying pornea is abuse. Uh, well, it is an abuse, but it, pornea is pornea. Um, what about abuse? Can you think of abuse as abandonment? Right. The argument is your spouse is abusive. Uh, uh, maybe physically abusive beats you, maybe emotionally manipulative, emotionally um, uh, just harassing you and tearing you down and destroying you. Isn't that abandonment? Haven't they, so to, so, so to speak, left the marriage? I would say, first of all, remember that marriage is community building. So I would say always bring it to the church. Bring it to the elders, especially if this person is a believer. And then the elders can appeal to this person. What are you doing? What are you doing? You need to love your spouse. You need to, you need to be a good husband or a good spouse. And if, the, if that person uh, doesn't obey the elders, then we can sort of start to take action and we can do the practice of, uh, the process of church discipline. Um, but this is a really tough question. I read like four articles on this, all coming with different perspectives, different points. I'm a little bit reluctant to say, yeah, abuse, you can, it's abandonment. You know why? Because it's one of those, it's one of those concepts that is sort of a catch-all. Like, my wife cooked me a bad meal, that's abuse. Um, so we don't want it to be like some, we don't want it basically to mean, oh, I'm just having an unhappy marriage, right? Or like arguing. Oh, we fight all the time. <laughs> Welcome to everybody's marriage, right? Um, but I think in, in, in cases of extreme abuse, meaning ex like physical beating, by the way, if, you, if, if your spouse is beating you, you don't need to physically stay in the house. Of course, you should go somewhere safe and again, appeal to the church. But if, you're, but if your husband refuses to repent, and I think, by the way, if your husband re repents of that and genuinely shows a desire to change with the church's support, I think you should take your husband back. Right? Again, reconcile, forgive. But if he's unrepentant, then I guess my state, my my view, is it is equivalent to abandonment. So two, I would I'll, I would allow for that. I have yeah. two more. Okay, so. Well, well, but before we get there, just in case I don't have enough time, let me say something else. This is something that I've thought about it just recently. So I just want to say this: What if you are already remarried, and you didn't know about this? You, know, you, did, you honestly didn't know. And so you did remarry. And so let's say you remarried, and Jesus said remarriage is equivalent to adultery. Let me just say this. Uh, and, and, and you weren't the innocent party, right? Let me just say this. I had a friend in Boston who got married three times. I had a really good friend. And <laughs> he got divorced twice. Um, and then the third marriage ended up becoming beautiful. I mean, it, it, I mean because he became a Christian midway through. And um, he committed to that marriage, and it's just a beautiful marriage. And let me just say this. All of us come to this as broken people. You know, you can't say, oh, you know, I, 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 I'm an adulterer, or I divorced, or I remarried. I'm a sinner. Everyone else is holy. No. Never. All of us are guilty. All of us are sinners. All of us have our hands dirty. And so there's forgiveness in the gospel. And... Once you remarry, you don't just say, oh, this is a wrong marriage, let's break it up. You basically say, I'm going to be 
a great spouse. I'm going to love my spouse. I'm going to commit to my spouse, hold on to my spouse, and make that marriage beautiful and good and true. And actually, that is gospel reenactment, right? Because you forgive, and you and you you're forgiven. But extreme scenarios. Okay. Let's say Nancy and Bobby just got married. Nancy and Bobby. Okay. Bobby is completely drunk on the drive home from their honeymoon, and he he accidentally slams through a gate and kills like 42 elementary school kids. He goes to jail, 42. like complete isolated jail, like for life, forever. Um, she is innocent. She can only visit him once every six months. Uh. <laughs> that, that affected Tracy, when you say every six months. <laughs> what, what, what can be done in this situation? Like, let's say like in, in like the extreme case of like one spouse is completely like not necessarily abandonment, but like physically unable yeah. to be in the relationship. Yeah, I, this is what I would say of all those kinds of examples. Another example that I was reading about, I don't know if you guys heard about it, it was, there was a big hoopla. Um, one of the, a famous Christian pastor, I think it was Pat Robertson, said that if your wife has Alzheimer's, you can divorce her. Because that, that's equivalent to abandonment. Um, I would say that in all of these extreme situations, you're basically testing how one flesh is one flesh. Right? Like, how far does this go? And I would say the answer is, the default position you should always have is, I will love my spouse all the way till the end, till death. If, if Christina, God forbid, were to be a, a burn victim, and her face is horribly disfigured, she looks like, I don't know, Two-Face in Batman or something, you know? And, and I, just, I can't look at her. I'll just fold her hand. You know, like, like, there... <laughs> what marriage means? <laughs> I know I went I went into the ridiculous. I'm sorry, but what marriage means is that you love and hold on to your spouse no matter what, no matter how dire the conditions break down, no matter how terrible it gets, you hold on just like Hosea did to Gomer. I challenge anyone. <laughs> Have you been pushed as far as Hosea? Nobody. Nobody has been pushed as far as Hosea. And God says, Hosea, love your wife, Gomer. Love her. Pursue her. Unending, unyielding, unrelenting. Never let her go. Because marriage equals the gospel. Also, I would say, if your spouse becomes an Alzheimer's patient, love her. If your, if your spouse becomes incarcerated, I would say love her. And hold on to her. And you might say, well, what about this these conditions of brokenness, you should never, your first thought should never be escape clause, escape hatch. This is a concession to human brokenness. You should not go there, even, even in the condition that you experience pornea, right? Your spouse cheats on you. You should always, always, always try to stay together. So that's, that's, that's what I would do. If, if your spouse were incarcerated, I would just keep pleading with you. I would say, let's go visit your spouse. Well, you can't visit. Let's write letters to her. <laughs> no letters. <laughs> I don't know if that answers your question. I have, I have one more, sorry. Uh, but, but I'll I, let me look at oh, dumb tips. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. I want to hear your example. Okay, I, I feel like you already answered this a little bit, but what would you say to somebody who has already been in a relationship where, like, sex was involved, it wasn't like marriage or anything like that, but it's over, like, like, is everything they do from now on, like, adultery? No, 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 no. Adultery is the act of breaking one flesh marriage. Does that make sense? Okay, so. So, so let's say you have someone who was sexually you know, uh, active before marriage. You know, that act of sexual, uh, 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 sexual activity 
is a is a violation of what sex is supposed to be, which is one flesh marriage is a sin against God. But once you get married, right, then you can say from this point forward, I pledge fidelity and holiness and godliness. And by the way, this is true for all of us. Nobody comes into marriage saying, I'm pure. Nobody. You know why? Because we're going to talk about this next week. Jesus go, talks about holiness, not in terms of mere behavior, but it goes down to the heart. It goes down to your thoughts. It goes down to the intent. If that is true, none of us have clean hands. And so we all come into marriage broken sinners and repentant sinners, forgiven sinners. That's the gospel. We're sinners saved by grace. So, Chow, if you meet a girl and she says, I'm sexually broken. You don't know what, where I've been. You, know, uh, uh, you don't know how uh, broken my life is. You can wrap your arm around her and say, let's get married. <laughs> you can wrap your arm around her and you can say, the gospel tells me I'm a sinner saved by grace. So I'm going to love you. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to cherish you the way Christ cherishes me. Even though I, I am a far worse sinner than you in terms of what I did to Christ, what I did to God. Dom, did you have a question? Um, so we were talking about how, like, in marriage, you can, like, when you're married to an unbeliever, you can outreach to them, right? Like, you can bring them to Christ or something like that. What if it goes the other way where they're bringing you away from your, your like... Their this is one of the reasons why uh, Paul and Jesus and everyone says you should not marry an unbeliever. Like, once you're already married to an unbeliever, and that is already the case, stay married, right? Because marriage is that beautiful and, and, and permanent, but... Uh, before you enter into one flesh union, don't do it if the spouse is not a believer. Does that make sense? I guess, but that's more so like easier so than better. So saying like don't do it, it's like don't put your hand in the cookie jar, but like your hand's already in the cookie jar, so it's like... Yeah, I mean, you know why? I'll tell you why. It's you, See, you're saying cookie jar, right? <laughs> so you're saying this is that's an mm, analogy, yeah. yummy, cookies. <laughs> okay, let me, let me tell you what this is. This is fire, pain, suffering. That's what you should think of it as, right? Because I, can I know tons and tons of friends who are in this situation, and they are deeply grieved. They are so sad because their spouse does not believe. Their spouse cannot join with them. Their spouse begrudgingly goes to church, if church at all. And there's just a deep rift in that marriage. There's a deep brokenness because you can never experience that one fleshness all the way because you're not on a journey together towards holiness in Christ. And so it's not a cookie jar is what I would say. That's a completely wrong way to think about it. It looks like a cookie jar, but once you grab it, it becomes fire. <laughs> That's the way you should think of it. But that, that rift also exists in, like, you know, like in Christian marriages too. Like, I mean, like my parents, they fight all the time and like, you know, they have like communication issues and stuff like that. So even though they're both like, you know, they understand the gospel, like, you know, you can't say that they're not having like, like, like they're just an example, right? But I'm sure there's yeah, like, yeah. So like I would say cases. all marriages experience <coughs> brokenness and pain and conflict, but marriage with a non-Christian, you have a, a a deep, profound layer of rift. Because think about it, right? Let's say you and your spouse are both believers. You're you're getting into an argument. Your spouse 
is under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Your spouse has a deep humility in Christ so that she can recognize her sin, that she can repent. There's not a self-righteous and self-protectiveness. If you both have that, there is enormous opportunity for reconciliation, forgiveness, um, um, peacemaking in a way that there is not with an unbeliever. Because the unbeliever doesn't believe that he's a sinner saved by grace. So I would say there's enormous resources that the Christian marriage has that a non-Christian marriage or a mixed marriage does not have. I will end it with that, with you thinking, um, just for the sake of time. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this difficult topic of marriage, marriage and divorce. Um, Lord, we know that uh, for those of us who grew up in a family that was divorced, or for uh, 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 those of us who have been divorced, Lord, we ask for your healing hand in our lives, and we know that you love us in Christ. We know that we're sinners saved by grace. And uh, we pray that we would now have this perspective that marriage is forever, not forever, marriage is, is lifelong, permanent, one flesh, and we ought not to let it go because it's the gospel. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.